Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward. Welcome to Paranormal Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Ward. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. Folks, I'm excited to welcome host of Conspire a Theory Podcast, Chris Holm. Chris has had some pretty interesting experiences that he shares with us. Things like hearing his mom's voice asking for help when she was not within earshot, glowing figures in the hallway, sleep paralysis, UFO sightings, and so much more. And don't forget to check out Chris's show, Conspire a Theory podcast on Spotify. You can find the link in my show notes. If you're looking for unique, handcrafted gifts, check out Char Craft Pyrography Studio. Discover handcrafted art and woodburning. His quality and attention to detail brings forth exquisite, one-of-a-kind pieces. Head on over to charcraftpyrographystudio.com and use coupon code PARANORMALHEART to receive 10% off your purchase. That's charcraftpyrographystudio.com. Before we get to the show, here is another listener-submitted true story, submitted by Paul Eisen. An Unexpected Friend by Paul Eisen One of the first things I did when I moved to this house is build my fire pit out back. We have a few acres with some woods, and then there are more woods beyond me and the wife's property. So it goes without saying there is plenty of wood to burn without having to pay for it. Most nights after I first moved in and had the fire area made, my dogs would come out with me and hang out. They love the fire and just have to make sure they're not missing out on anything that might be going on. Then a lot of times, the wife will join me after the fire is started and we will drink mead and have some music going. This is nice since there are no other distractions aside from the occasional siren from the fire trucks going off. Then there are the nights when the wife would stay inside the house and keep the dogs with her. She either wanted to watch something on TV or play her video games she is into or whatever. These nights were fine because it would give me time to myself to reflect on life and stuff. I would either take my guitar out there with me or just sit and listen to the music I would play from my phone. Whatever the reason was, I do not remember now, things in my life would change forever. One evening at dusk, what I thought was a coyote walked up close to the place I was sitting. My dogs were inside the house. The coyote then laid down on its belly and crawled up to me, showing me that it meant no harm. I asked it if it was hungry and then gave it some of my food that I had out there with me that I was eating with my whiskey. This is where it gets weird. The coyote shifted into a human woman, or I should say, what appeared to be human. She was short, about five feet tall, with long blonde hair, and naked. After getting over the fact that a nude girl just appeared before me, I offered her a blanket because it was getting chilly out, and it would also keep her from being eaten up by mosquitoes. 
I had the extra blanket with me because I thought the wife would be joining me, but now I hope she doesn't. I then speak up. Why are you here? Why would you show yourself to me? She said to me in my head that she had been watching me and thought it would be safe to reveal herself to me. She said that she could hear my thoughts and that she could feel me, so she knew it was okay to talk with me. It took me a few minutes before I could respond. I just sat there smoking my cigar and sipping on my whiskey. I am pleased to make your acquaintance, ma'am. My name is... She cut me off. I know what your name is, David. What do I call you, ma'am? Call me friend. I do not have a name. That you can pronounce, anyway. I lean over to my new friend, offer her some whiskey. Thank you, she says. She then coughs. <coughs> Damn, that is good stuff. She hands the bottle back to me. Why do you talk to me without using your mouth? I asked. Because I can. It's easier this way. Okay, if you say so. And I get up to stoke the fire and add more wood. We sat there four hours just talking about whatever we came up with to talk about. I asked her if she would return and keep me company by the fire again, and she agreed to. Then she shifted into another animal, a raccoon, and then walked off. I sat there for another hour and let the fire die while I thought about my new friend. Then I went inside. I have often thought about this girl, but to this day, she has yet to return. This experience that I had let me understand what another friend said to me once, that you should treat every animal with kindness, because you never really know. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you'd like me to narrate your paranormal encounters, just drop me an email at paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment. Tell your friends, don't keep it to yourself. Tell the world about Paranormal Heart Podcast. You can tell them that new episodes are released on the second and last Sunday of each month at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find me on YouTube, Podbean, KPNL Digital Network on Thursday nights, and any place you find fine podcasts. Now, on with the show. Hello, Chris. Welcome to Paranormal Heart. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? How's everything da there down south? <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Um, up in Canada, we're good. <laughs> well, that's right. You're, you, you're in Canada. You're not on the other side of Canada because I noticed that when we did our, our when you told me the time, so we set this up. It was like I do. Um, I'm doing a collaboration right now with uh, R. Keith Andrews. He's a uh, he's a uh, rather um, he's a rather established uh, alien contactee, and he's releasing a manual called "Races of the World," and he's releasing a illustrated edition. I'm providing the illustrations. We can get into that a little bit later. But when yeah. I spoke to him, he's on the other side of Canada, and you see, it's like a two-hour difference the other way. Yeah. <laughs> It's two hours forward. With him, it's like two, two hours back. and you, it's an hour forward. And so I'm like, it, it, it's so, it is, it is something trying to keep up with, with everybody in this, this international audience. It is. Uh, I had some friends, um, I haven't spoken to them in, in a few years, but every time we tried to uh, do a podcast together, one was in the UK, I'm in Ontario, 
and one was in New York. And we always had, was it New York or was it further west? Anyways, we always had a hard time getting our time zones to coincide because, you know, the UK is a few, quite a few hours ahead of us. So um, we always had to make sure that we double checked what everybody's time zones were. <laughs> yeah, I, and even today, people still get the time zones wrong. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's just such a, it, it's so hilarious sometimes. Well, what I do, if someone says, for example, 3 o'clock uh, Central, I'll put in Google 3 p.m. Central, and it gives me what, it, what the time is in Eastern that I'm in. So hmm. that's what I, I have to do because I, I do know the time zones, but then a lot of times just to make sure that I got it right, especially when you're trying to, you're trying to get people's schedules to coincide with yours, time zones and, and knowing, knowing them can make a huge difference in your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, Chris, how did the paranormal all start for you? Was it at a young age? Well, for me, um, my interest in the paranormal started in my, I guess, mid-teens when I was, you know, just growing up. Like, I, my first encounters were hearing my mother's voice when I would just be sitting down drawing or, or anything, and then I would hear my mother's voice, and then I'd go out. It sounded like a like I could best describe it as a summoning call, like she needed help getting a can of beans off the top shelf or something like that, you know. So I'd, I'd walk up to her and I'd say, you know, Mom, what you need? And then she said, I, I didn't call you. Or, and then she would tell me, she would, it would happen so often that she would write it off as, well, it's your guardian angel. That was her explanation for anything weird was, it's your guardian angel. And... That- yeah, yeah, and then and then you know throughout the the years as growing up, I would I would have a, a a really interest in the alien abduction phenomena, and I would record um I would I would record off on Betamax. I would record documentaries off of the Sci-Fi Channel, and one of my favorite shows was Sightings, which was the the sort of you know Canadian uh, you know mystery show. Uh, unsolved mysteries of Canada, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, and you know, and of course, my mom would, you know, give me, you know, lots of grief for that, saying, you know, that you're going to give yourself nightmares and stuff <laughs> like that. And there were a few times where I'd worked myself up into, you know, a, a panic frenzy about it. But, you know, it's just that interest, and I've kept with it, and I've, I've recently gotten back into it through uh, my podcast, uh, Conspire Theory, where I talk to paranormal individuals and others about all these different types of, of issues and things that interest me. Yeah, the episode that I listened to, I was telling you, uh, was with uh, our mutual friend, Brian Bowden. And uh, I, I just really laughed when uh, you thought I was from the South because of my Canadian accent. So that, that gave me a good chuckle. <laughs> that just shows how, how, you know, how accents are so alien to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's the thing is because on your 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 card art on the on the show the show art it's you with a heart behind you it's a purple heart and i thought for the longest time that it was a bonnet <laughs> and i thought that it was a bonnet and i thought that it, that your your accent was more minnesotan so i thought okay she's probably midwestern or something of that nature yeah. and i thought that for the longest time and you know and and before I, I confuse people, I say, you know, oh, you know, the, the paranormal heart with Katie Hart, I would say Katie Hart instead of Katie Ward. Yeah. 
and and because you know that's just my brain you know reshuffling you know <laughs> your 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 name and stuff like this and then people say oh well, who, who are you talking about like they would recognize the show but they they had no idea who this katie hart person was <laughs> and it's cat not katie it's i cat, i get that so often so yeah cat ward i uh and, i get a lot of people the funny thing is, there is a Katie Hart out there that it, that used to be in the paranormal. It was one bizarre podcast. She used to be a co-host of, or or a producer or someone for Dave Schrader mm-hmm. back in the day, and and she used to do like a lot of paranormal shows. And now she's sort of, you know, I guess we would use the term pod faded, but I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just the, the Katie Hart, and then I get everybody's names confused back and forth, and it's just it's just so ridiculous sometimes because. <laughs> I'm getting everybody mixed up in my head. Well, sometimes I'll go into um, uh, chat rooms uh, while listening to a show, like a live show. And then um, I don't know if you know uh, Kat Hobson. So I get a lot of people saying, hi, Kat Hobson, knowing it's me. But I'm like, you mean Ward? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. (laughs) So tell us about alien abduction. Is that what you had said earlier? Well, I was interested in the alien abduction phenomena, Mm -hmm. but the closest thing that I had that I could relate to the alien abduction phenomena was a um, sleep paralysis episode that was very prominent in my life. I refer refer to it as, uh, or a friend of mine, he coined the phrase, you know, it sounded like you were abducted by the people of Walmart. That's a joke. (laughs) And what it is is that I, I, w- I had an episode where I, it, was, it was during the daytime. I had come off of uh, like a 10 or 12-hour shift. I was Ooh, really tired. Long one. I, I, I was on my back on my bed, and then I felt the, the episode commence. And I sort of, I've had sleep paralysis before. I've studied it, you know, extensively being in the abduction field, uh, researching it with various, you know, documents. So I, I knew what it was, and I felt that, that rush come over me. But it's sort of like a chemical like a chemically induced fear panic mm-hmm. it shoots into your bloodstream. And, you know, and, and of course the, 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 the technical response is it's your body shutting off your, 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 your nerves and, and, and appendages from flailing out so you don't act out your dreams. But the problem is you, you're, you haven't completely fallen asleep when it happens. And that leads to uh, hallucinations that, that most people you know, can interpret as, as you know, alien and alien uh, abduction phenomena. That's how most people usually write off the experience. But what would have happened to me with my experience is that I had, you know, I, I was frozen in my bed. I felt the, the fear hormones take over me. And then the door opens up. And in through the door walks these two misshapen men. They were, they were clearly, you know, humanoid-ish type men. One was very tall and, and with fiery red hair, and and you know he had like the, the he had like tight he had on like a black outfit, but it was like really tight, and his belly was hanging out, you know, because he was like very fat. And then the other one was a shorter, hunched-over man in blue and green plaid, and it's sort of in a trucker hat with a really brushy mustache and brushy hair and a mean, stern look on his face, and they, they start going through my stuff for some reason, and then they, you know, they, they the, the man and the shorter one would, would turn to look at me to make sure that I was still 
um, you know, in my in in my in my state, in the state that I was in, where where I was, you know, out of it. And then they would open up closets, like not just walk-in closets, but they would open up sliding door closets in walls that, that there were no closets. So it's sort of like they were opening dimensional closet space and space and time and, and to, to doors and stuff that just didn't exist for some reason. And then they would just go ruffle through it somehow. And then as I slowly started to gain uh, comments back, they then shuffle themselves out and close the door behind them. And then, of course, I get up. You know, I'm, I'm, I know what happened, but I'm still in the panic. So I check all my all my doors and I check everything, and I have like two layers of security, deadlocks and electronic. And all my deadlocks are, are are set; they're untampered, and all my electronics is untampered as well. So there was really no way for them to get out unless they just vanished into fat air. That's interesting. Do you do you know what they were looking for, or do you can you speculate? No, I had really no idea. I think this was before I even started my show. Um, at the time, you know, I was just like a, just a regular nobody. I don't know. I, I really can't account as far as what they were looking for. But since they were opening shelf space into, you know, alternate dimensions or stuff, they they were clearly looking for something, you know, like like non-conforial, as I could best describe mm-hmm. it. They were clearly after. They were seeking something, you know, adjacent to me, and I really can't place it, but it was probably something, you know, not just that would have been on me, like on my person, but something that would have been like, you know, dimensionally beyond me of that sort. So, I mean, that's just as as best I can write it off, but I understand that from the sleep paralysis thing that it was probably a, a hallucination of some sort. So that's how I could best sum it up, is that they were clearly coming in, they were engaging in the act of, of searching, and then and then they, they shuffled themselves out once I was able to gain, regain control. So since I've had that experience, I've, I've had a level of empathy for people who have abduction experiences, you know, because I kind of, in a way, feel their, feel their pain and understand their confusion as far as, you know, being stuck in this situation, not knowing what exactly happened or why. Do you recall any temperature shifts, uh, smells, or noises coming from them? Not that I could think of. I don't know that they, I mean, maybe I heard shuffling. I guess I was so put off by their presence. And, And at the time, my body was compromised because I was having the, the, the fear toxins, as I like to call them, coursing through my veins at the time, uh, paralyzing me. So I really didn't quite know what was going on at the time as far as smells or sounds and stuff like this. I don't know that that stuff long-term registered with me. Mm-hmm. Wow. So can you tell, do you recall what, because you said one was dressed in black and one was in plaid? Do you recall what uh, era the clothing would have been, or is this just something completely different that we haven't seen? It was these guys were clearly modern. They would they wouldn't have been in, out of time. They they were clearly modern individuals because one had a trucker hat, 
He had the plaid outfit. He clearly had a, a, a white shirt of some sort. Probably had like a band logo or something on it. I don't know. I, I really couldn't quite see. And then blue jeans. And the other one had a, a what on him was sort of like a crop top because he, he was like, he was a very round individual. So it's his, his shirt bunched up around his chest and, that, and his belly was hanging out. And he had like a short black, I guess, bicycle shorts on. I really couldn't quite see their feet, but I imagine that they'd probably be wearing sneakers or tennis shoes of some sort. That's wild. I can't even imagine the fear that you would have felt because you can't move and you're seeing this happening. Yeah, I mean, it's a sort of, I I don't know how to describe, it's sort of like, you know, anxiety because... I mean, just a general home invasion is scary enough, and I've experienced mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and that's unsettling, you know, and, and violating. But this was sort of, it was something on a, on a different level, um, I guess, emotionally and spiritually, because it was so unreal. I'm just wondering if it would have been um, residual uh, where they're still going about their business looking for something and they're looking behind them and you said that they were looking at you, but maybe they're just looking at whoever it was uh, from whatever time frame they were from. I, I don't know. Wow, that's fascinating. I don't know either because in my childhood, I did have a sliding door closet. So that's why I say they, they probably went into time and space when they were going through stuff because... They were clearly in the act of searching, and and they, they didn't want to be disturbed as they were going about their duties. So that it's been a big old mystery to me. You know, I can only the only interpretation that I can uh, apply to it is just dream interpretations because I have no other set of of it. Like I don't know that it was you know quote unquote real. Mm-hmm. It was an experience. And like I said, I was a, a, a student of the paranormal, so to speak. So I understood sleep paralysis. And as far as I knew, on all the check marks, it hit every single sleep paralysis episode uh, experience for me. So that's just how I best interpreted it. Have you ever encountered anyone who had a similar experience like that with how they were dressed? So far, not that I know of, but then I haven't spoken to very many um, sleep paralysis people as, as much as, as far as I know. I mean, I've, I've only relayed this experience now for like about maybe a year or two. So it's going to take a while for any uh, input to come back for me. And when I go to other shows, so far that hasn't, you know, uh, as far as I know, it hasn't drawn up any experience. I know in the Panario, in the in the the broader paranormal community, there is a figure referred to as the flannel man, but his flannel pattern is more uh, checkered red and black, as opposed to the green and blue that I saw. I'm just making some notes here so I could look into it later on too. Mm-hmm. Wow! I do I've... think I remember one other person who's. I think they had like a similar type of, of, of green and, and blue on another show but in, in her experience she, he wasn't he was like a sort of a taller blonde man 
and he wasn't looking into her room. He was looking into like uh, uh, someone else's room, and and she just saw the that that entity from behind. So I do know that there are that whatever store my entity shops at, other entities shop at too. So, <laughs> so there is some that I can think off the top of my head. One corroborating similar experience out there that I am aware of. Well, this is a first for me for hearing about the flannel man. I've obviously heard of the hat man, but the flannel man I've never heard of. I'm going to have to delve into that. Yeah. Yeah. You can find that prominently on Timothy Renner's show, Strange Familiars. He talks about it. It's an ongoing thread. So if, if you ever reach out to him, definitely ask him about it. I will for sure. Wow. That's pretty interesting. So mm -hmm. how many years, how long ago did that happen? That would have been like maybe, I, I'm just going off the top of my head, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So just getting back to your mother for a minute. Um, so when you said that you could hear her voice and thinking that she was calling out, have you ever had any experiences with your mother where you knew that you can just communicate like that and you don't even have to be in the same building even? Like, like, uh, kind of like a telepathy. Not really. Not, not that I can recall. Um, when I have those experiences, that's when my mother was alive. Since my mother had passed, I don't know that I've ever heard her voice. Hmm. The closest that I've come to is like when, when I'm like in a dream, I will like really strongly feel my mother's presence. Mm -hmm. And then in some way she incorporates herself into whatever dream I'm having. And that ends up having, like, a, there's this one funny story where I'm having a dream where I'm at some sort of college fraternity yoga party. I don't know what I'm doing there, but for some reason I'm there. And everyone's all dressed up in yoga. And then, and then I'm, like, having a conversation with someone. And then in the background, you know, my mom is filling a kiddie pool with margarita mix. <laughs> you know, so she's sort of, like, engaging in the party, you know, fraternizing type of stuff and she's just there you know as far as you know in actual engagement i think i probably only engaged with her once or twice in the dream spheres and i think one where i was like at a at a hotel there was a convention going on and then i see my mother at a craft table you know and and then i i suddenly become self-aware that i'm speaking to her and then, of course, I just, you know, I just sit right next to her while she's working on crap, and I just wrap my arms around her, and I cry for what feels like 15 hours dream time. I'm just sitting there because I'm so grateful to be in the presence of my mother, mm -hmm. who had passed, you know, quite a year, several years, and, and I'm just basking in the moment, and I'm having an emotional moment. And my mother is just working on crafts, and, and she's just patting me on the head every now and then. <laughs> it's, it's rather funny to think about, but you know, in the moment, it, it's like you're. I'm, I'm experiencing this moment, and I'm grasping onto it as hard as I can. So that's like the only. Those are like some of the only other times that I probably, you know, had any paranormal connection with my mother. She did retell to me a story. I don't know if you want to get into that now. Sure, if you'd like to. Go ahead. All right. Well, this one was sort of, uh, in this one, I would have been like a, like a secondary participant in this because I was, I believe I was four years old. Uh, 
one of my siblings was eight, and we were in our bedroom. We were both like where you put two kids into one bedroom when they were really young. And my mom had gotten up and she went down the hallway to you know get a glass of water or something. And she had seen um, a, a big a, like a person, like a like a person, but they were made out of light, standing outside of our bedroom, like they were looking in. And she saw it from like the head like down to the knees, because then past the knees, it was sort of like fading off. And she saw it for like just a second. And then and then she like, you know, like did a sudden like gasp or, or panic jump. And then and then the figure disappeared. And then that, that was like a story that she had relayed to me. So is that something that uh, you think is, uh, that runs in the family uh, experiences like this? Or do you, has your mother ever mentioned it or anyone else in the family? Um, like as if it was like sort of the guardian angel that she's constantly referring to. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that was just a one-off as far as anyone within the family that has seen a sort of figure of light. If it's been, if it's happened, it hasn't been relayed to me. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, my mom sort of like, like, I don't know that her family has that sort of thing because she's uh, she's Hispanic. So from a Hispanic background, there is a lot of talk of, you know, the brujas and the witches and the neighborhood witches and all that sort of stuff. So so paranormal is treated more taboo, uh, uh, sort of like it, it's like more of a serious business type of thing that you just don't engage in. But everybody's family, of course, has stories of, of someone interacting with a witch or, or a, you know, a, a witch sort of, you know, menacing the family of some, somehow of that nature. But as far as that, you know, any other accounts of a figure of light, I, I haven't quite heard of. I have heard of many other people having interactions with light beings, with beings made of light. But I don't know that they quite sounded along the same, you know, experience as far as, you know, the one-off that was in my family. I think from what I could tell from my mother when she did tell me about the experience, I don't think she ever recalled any sort of like feeling any menacing presence from it. She didn't feel fear or something like that. It was more like it was just checking in and, you know, and seeing as how, you know, how we're sort of messing with time in a way. Maybe, you know, she probably walked in on herself, you know, going through her past timelines, you know, just looking in on the kids. It, it could have been something like that where she just walked in on, on her own ghost if we were to take the whole, you know, time isn't so linear as, it, as we think it to be. We're hearing more and more people saying that, uh, like when paranormal investigators go on investigations or people are just having paranormal experiences, uh, more and more people seem to be talking more about they're not actually ghosts. They're Well, they are, but it's us in a different timeline and we're just able to interact with them for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know what to make of... of I don't either. <laughs> I'm an active ghost hunter myself. I, I It's ghost hunting... It's not my primary interest. It takes so much time and dedication and effort, and I respect that, but that isn't for me. 
The thing is, is that I kind of prefer the investigations like post-event. Like with ghost hunting, I feel like you're trying to instigate an experience. And mm -hmm. that, I don't know what to think about that. Maybe as far as from an investigator standpoint, so long as you have like, you, you make like a notice and control of all the parameters, you know, I can understand that being viable. But from what I've seen so far, people just hook up cameras and they go running around trying to stir up trouble, so to speak. And it just, it doesn't pique my interest as much. I would rather hear someone, you know, like they had an experience and then relay it and then do an investigation, you know, back on that rather than try to instigate an experience. And, and that, it just, it, it's just something that it just doesn't quite sit well with, with me. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, dismiss anyone else's techniques uh, or that matter. It's just, it's just not a path that I prefer to go down. Yeah, I don't, uh, the team that I'm with, uh, we don't instigate. Uh, I have heard of, you know, TV shows and other teams, they try to get uh, the entities riled up and um, which I don't agree with, but uh, because, you know, we, we still don't know 100% what these, these beings are. So do you really want to rile something up that you don't fully understand? You know, it's just, it doesn't make sense I mean, to me. So long as the team is taking proper precautions, like, uh, like uh, spiritual protection in the form of prayers or talismans or, or some form of of uh, putting up a wall of some sort to protect mm -hmm. themselves. I'm totally cool with that. The UFO community is sort of doing their own type of ghost hunting thing, except they call it sky watching, where they all get together and they just sky watch and just hang out. And, and in a ways, that sort of is along the same lines of trying to invoke type of stuff. So like the CE5 people, they will do that. They will do active meditations and try to you know, instigate uh, an, an alien encounter. And, you know, and of course, you know, I mean, it is sort of the same thing. So, uh, so you know, as a sort of, you know, trying to be, you know, objective, you know, I do recognize that, that you know, both communities are sort of, you know, doing similar things. And, and you know, of course, I feel that sky watching is probably a bit less intrusive. Because with most ghost hunting, you're going to a place that you sort of know or suspect is haunted and then trying to, you know, stir up something. Whereas with sky watching, you're going to, uh, I guess, what would be a neutral, clear place and then trying to invite something in. And most of the time, people are just hanging out, having fun, you know, just spending time. I, I kind of prefer that. I, I've gone to a few sky watching events myself. And I actually have seen stuff. Oh, what have you seen? During one um, sky watch, I was with a, a friend of mine. I had interviewed him in a three-part interview in my show, a man named Jack Carroll. He had built a sky deck, and he had the sophisticated you know, night goggles and all of that stuff. So we had looked up, and, and for some reason, when I look up, I see this sort of, it's sort of like I see three lights, and they're all circling in a tri triangular pattern. And, and I'm like, that, that's interesting. And I just kept looking at it. And, it, and I don't know if it was so much the, the, the lights. I don't think the lights were moving. I think it was just like nine lights. And then three of them were sort of like going on and off in a sort of pattern. So it looked like they were, they were, they were moving or something of that nature. Do you think the lights it, 
going on and off with some kind of uh, communication, kind of like Morse code? I don't know. It was just a steady pattern of just a circle going back and forth like we see in LED patterns. Okay. Except it was like, I guess, what would have been a craft high up in the sky. Because it, I, I really, if there was a craft there, I really couldn't see the outlines. All I could see was the lights reacting. And for some reason, I didn't tell Jack about it. <laughs> I felt like it was sort of like an experience thing just for me. Mm-hmm. So I sort of, you know, just, just took in the experience and just, you know, kept it with myself. And, and that's pretty much as, as far as it went. Did you have a group of people when that happened? At the time, I think it was just me and him. Me, him, you know, maybe one of his family members, and and, and we were just there. Yeah, it's funny how um, I find the last few years we're hearing more and more people uh, getting into groups and doing that, the sky watching, and uh, they they a lot of them believe that if they put all their collective energies together and their thoughts together and saying, hey, show yourselves that that's what they're going to be experiencing is uh, uh, UFOs. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. You know, it, it's it it is sort of interesting, and for me, it's a new thing because I don't know that it's been. I'm pretty sure it's it's been an ongoing thing for quite a while, but it's a new experience to me. And at the time, I I really don't know what to make of it. You know, so long as it's you know respectful and non-invasive, I'm I'm totally good with it. Yeah, uh, part of me would be curious to go with a group like that and see what happens, but part of me kind of doesn't want to at the same time because what if they're not friendlies? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Be careful yeah, what you but, wish for I mean, in a way, I guess. Yeah, it's that sort of reason why I don't trust myself around a Ouija board because I don't know what's going on. And, it, and it's funny, another story with my mom <laughs> where I had actually bought a Ouija board. Oh, yeah, how old were you? I think I was like 18 or 19 or something. You know, I, I was like an older teenager. Mm-hmm. And I had, no, I was probably... I think I was 17, like, like just going into that older teen stage. And again, I worked myself into such an anxious panic, I didn't even open it. And then I begged my mom to take it back and return it. <laughs> and <then laughs> Did she? She said, she said like, like, she said, yeah, I turned it in. And then, and then they, they asked, you know, like, what was wrong? And then she said, oh, my son was just freaked out about it. <laughs> and she heard them say, like, what a whip. Oh, <laughs> she told me that. <laughs> I don't know if they really did that or if that was just her rubbing it in. But still. <laughs> yeah, I uh, grew up on the east coast of Canada, and I'm uh, my mom was Acadian, so she's French, French Canadian, and very, um, a very religious family. And uh, I took over more of the spiritual side than the uh, religious side. But I remember growing up, my mom always said, do not bring home one of those Ouija boards. They're nasty. Uh, you don't know what you're getting into. And, you know, the usual speech, yada, yada, yada. And, of course, I did buy one um, and played around with it. And we did get some some in- interesting results sometimes. But uh, I don't remember what I did with the board after. I don't remember if I gave it to someone or because my mom's like, the only way to get rid of it is to you can't even burn it. I think she said you have to actually give it to somebody else. But then it's almost like you're passing on a curse, she believed, if you, if you did that. So she says, just don't buy one. So I really don't remember what I did with the board. If I gave it to someone or just threw it out and hoped that nothing would happen. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's funny because it's funny because uh, if you really think about it, um, if you're using spirit boxes or anything like that for investigations, it's kind of the same premise as the Ouija board. Um, but because the way that I was raised, I really don't trust those boards. <laughs> I don't want to have any near me. Yeah, yeah. I like the ones where they're like they're not like arranged like the QWERTY uh, keyboard. They're arranged more like like in a circle, like an alphabet circle. Mm -hmm. I think they call them angel boards. It's a different thing, but it's still the same thing, mm -hmm. you know. You still have the planchette and all that. Yeah, I, I believe so. Except it's more like an, an angelic representation as opposed to just you know just a regular spooky type of thing. Yeah. But it's still a form of of, of uh, instigatory divination, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever seen these memes, but I get a kick out of the one that uh, you have an area rug in your in your house, and there's a, like a Ouija board on it, and somebody has a rumba, and they're going to work, and like, yeah, un, un, unknowingly summoning demons with your rumba, <laughs> just like. Yeah. <laughs> yes, those are those are cute. Yeah, they are cute. So have you ever had any uh, experiences with cryptids? As far as I can recall, I don't I don't believe I have. I I'm not really the outdoorsy type. Yeah. But even then as far as you know uh, you know outdoor type of thing or even like as far as cuz I do hear that even on the cusp of the woods and stuff like this, you know, it seems like cryptids seem to present themselves, and then there are like other entities like the chupacabra and stuff like that that present themselves. You know, in like neighborhoods and stuff of that nature, I, I don't know that I ever have. I mean, I'm deeply interested in this stuff. I, I feel like when it comes to all the dogman lore, I love that. I love the dogman lore. Yeah, that's my favorite and, of all the cryptids. Yeah, and the, the, the Bigfoot and stuff, you know, I, I do feel like Bigfoot is a bit overexposed but it is a bit, you know, it is a big seller, so I completely understand why it's a thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I, like, some family would have, like, they would have, like, places out in the country and, and out in the, like, the wheat, the wheat fields and stuff like this. And so far, I don't know that I've ever experienced out there, even as a child. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, sad to say, I, I really haven't had anything like that ever happen to me. Yeah, I haven't had any uh, cryptid experiences myself either. And, uh, well, I think I might have had a, a Bigfoot experience that I mentioned before, but uh, it was just us on an investigation out in the, on a road here uh, in a place called Buck Hill that's very, very well known here. And we were investigating and uh, we had little stones being thrown at us and then we heard this loud crash in, in the woods and it's like... It, we're all like instinctively went back to back when we heard that and we started to laugh because it's so dark that if you don't have any light source at all you can't even see your hand in front of your face it's it's just there's no lights there's no houses it's just uh just woods in a in a road and i think it might have been a bigfoot but other than that um you know people like Brian Bowden and uh Al Santariga love those guys uh they've had so many experiences and so many paranormal you know, they, they've had everything. And part of me is kind of like, well, I kind of like to have that as well, but um, I don't really want to come face to face with a dog man. 
yeah, yeah, I'll I'll let everybody else have their experience. I have no problem, you know, hearing about this stuff secondhand. It's yeah. not an issue for me. The the thing that I find most intriguing is like what's going on now, and you hear this pretty much promoted mostly by spearheaded by Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchin, is the uh, Bigfoot forest poltergeist theory, where it's sort of a, a rather than, than Bigfoot being a you know not always a flesh and blood representation, but being a form of forest poltergeist. That it's the same energy you experience in a house, but instead you experience it in the woods. When it's in a house, you know, you'd see plates and forks and stuff flying all over the place. But in the woods, that's not out there. So the next best thing is rocks and twigs. And in paranormal stuff and in poltergeist stuff in houses, you hear loud crashes and stuff like that. Whereas in the forest, there's, you know, you do hear loud crashes again, but it's sort of off in the distance. And it's usually where you don't see the entity or the creature, you know. And as far as from what I'm thinking, as far as what I've understood of simian behavior, you know, it sounds uncharacteristically unsimian-like for, you know, an undiscovered wood ape or whatever to engage in that sort of behavior. I mean, yeah, I can get throwing rocks and stuff of that nature, but, you know, a lot of people, they'll describe, like, Bigfoot's giving bluff charges and stuff like this. One of my biggest points of contention with Bigfoot is he doesn't aggressively throw scat, which is a thing, which is a, a primate behavior. Yep. And, yeah, we can laugh about it, but in the sort of, and it does sound like a funny joke, but, you know, it is one of those things. And... I think to try to cover that up, some people may, may speculate that while Bigfoot is a higher intelligence being, you know, he's got a higher cognitive whatever, you know, and it's like, well, a chimpanzee can figure out, you know, a, a video game and stuff like this, that, but he's still going to throw a scat. I, I, would put, I would apply the same to a Bigfoot of that nature, you know, if it was to be, you know, more ape-like than uh, humanoid. Type of uh, 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 nature, but I'm just you know shooting off the cuff with just open speculation here. Mm -hmm. yeah. Part of me would prefer having rocks thrown at me than scat, <laughs> but scat wouldn't really do damage if if it was flung. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and the thing that they described is they described the rocks as warm for some reason, like the rocks are warm, and and I'm like, you know, well. I mean, how do you account that with Bigfoot? I mean, is, is he is he putting them in his mouth or in spitting them out at you or, or something like that? Or is he putting them in another orifice and spitting them out? <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine him there, you know, rubbing a rock between his little palms. You know, it's like, okay, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. And then, then shooting it off. I mean, it, it's just, I just don't know. But I just don't know, you know. That's I've no I haven't heard that before where the rocks are uh, are warm. Yeah, in most of the cases, I believe they are. When people take an account, like they pick up the rock, they notice that the, that the rock is warm. Hmm. I think that has been one of the things that, that has been you know when people pay attention to that. Yeah, because if you're encountering a creature like this, uh, depending on your level of terror, you might not be 
looking at all the details. You just got to, yeah. you know, just, you know, you saw something big and hairy. Uh, you might not pay attention to anything else. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like when you were questioning me earlier, if I encountered any smell or, 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 or sounds. And it's just, I just wasn't thinking about that at the time. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's it's those finer details that you know we miss and and you know and it's easier for someone to come in like arm armchair general you know Monday morning quarter pack and you know use that as a point of contention and and you know try to improve the whole experience so it, it's just stuff that we just have to roll with until something definitive comes along. Is there a topic in the paranormal that intrigues you more than the others? Well, aside from the, the alien abduction, which is my number one, and then number two, I guess, would be sort of the dog man specifically. Mm. And then I guess as far as a runner-up, one of the things that I'm really interested in is the the black-eyed kids and the men in black and uh, the sort of like uh, people like outside of the, the, the surrounding paranormal experiences that people tend to encounter. I, I find that stuff really fascinating as well. Like, I love a good Men in Black story. I read, uh, what was it, Nick Redfern's Women in Black. That book, Back and Forward, and it was really interesting. Uh, he does great research. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the stuff out there, it's just, it's so intriguing, and, and uh, the I've heard some stories of accounts of the, the children, the black-eyed kids, and I'm intrigued by that. Some accounts I, I do find very questionable because I feel like there's a level of, of, of uh, what do you call it, um, indulgence that's going on that may be like a real experience, like like one, one account where like uh, someone's claimed that they let the kids in and when you listen to the story as a whole, they just sound like weird kids for some reason, mm-hmm. you know. And and I, I and I think that, that some people are being you know indulgent with it or, or or outright fabricating experiences. But as far as the ones that are authentic, I think it was Steve Stockton where he had an encounter where he had seen one where he was loading up his programming gear into uh, his car, and then two kids you know approached him. And they were like speaking weirdly, you know, or the one where they show up at someone's front door and they're like out of sync, like by, you know, as far as clothing is going. And it's just these sort of weird accounts. I think the original guy who coined the phrase, so to speak, you know, um, he, like, I, that one I find really, you know, interesting because it, it, it hits close to home in a way that sort of, you know, like I remember being that guy going all that same kind of short because I had to go up to, you know, the mailbox and pay my Paragon bill. You know, I've, I've done that. But, you know, I haven't had that experience, so to speak. And and it's just, it's just the, this interesting sort of uh, encounter and I just find it so intriguing and it leads me to this sort of um, speculation that I have that I often ask people. Um, that, and, and for some people, it, it's probably a bit too edgy for them, but I'll go ahead and present it to you. Please do where, yes. where, um, We all know that, that the kids in black are dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. And, 
and you sort of establish that in their lore that they're this menacing presence. Like, well, if a child in black or children in black, if they knock on the door of a child predator, who's in the greater danger? The oh. child predator or the black-eyed kids? You know, and I and I'll pro- offer that up as just you know just a speculative you know what if out there you know, you know, and, and it's just something that you can just gotta think about. I, I remember I presented it to David Weatherly, and of course you know he laughed about it and said like, well, if those kids, hopefully those kids are, are the more dangerous ones, yeah. then we could give them a list of all the child predators out there, and then they could take <laughs> care of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you yeah, know, and and I. <laughs> And I sort of see that type of nature, and it's just like the whole, you know, like what is the most dangerous thing out there, and and you know, and it comes down to it is is this, you know, it's really hard when you go up against the worst in humanity out there, you know, because again, these 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 black-eyed kids, you know, they, I don't know why people try to. Um, conflate them with the graves, the aliens known as the graves for some reason, just because of the black eyes. And I know today, theatrically, yeah, we can create a, a theatrical black eyed kid, but what people describe in the eyes is not the, the shiny black uh, lens, it's what it's sort of a void. Is what is described as a, it's a void. That's when, when the primary encounters that I, or the authentic primary encounters that most people give the most credence to, and the the out of time sort of you know speech, as well as the seemingly manifested off-brand clothing that they wear, and I liken it to like the anglefish where the anglefish has this sort of, it's this big ugly fish, but it has this this protruding appendage that has a light source on it that draws the its prey to that, and then it'll gobble them up. Well, I wonder if, like, what entity is the black-eyed kid to sort of the light for the anglefish for? Like, what is attached to them that is the bigger, more dangerous entity? That's what I like to think of. The black-eyed kids as is that they're a peripheral of a sort of darker more dangerous hidden entity out there i never thought of that that makes them even more creepier now thanks mm-hmm. chris <laughs> sometime i gotta work on an illustration of that sometime because i just recently did an illustration of my sleep paralysis demons and i and i put it on my instagram um Sometimes I'll, you know, that's another thing that I do on the side is I'll do the artistic recreations of people's encounters. That's interesting. Nice. Yeah. And in a way, it's sort of a way for me to step into people's experiences to try to sort of see it through their eyes and and understand this stuff. Because I, I, you know, I have this sort of macabre fascination with with these things. You know, it's, it's just... And as far as I know, that's the only way that I'm able to step into the experiencer. And it kind of brings to life, so to speak, uh, the experience that they've had. And other people, if people are listening to others recount their story, they can, and if they've had an experience like that, uh, they can kind of 
get a better um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? If they've seen an illustration and they've and they've had that kind of experience, it makes it more real for them. Uh, I know, I know. Presentation, yeah. Yeah. I know that's happened to me where when I was a kid, I used to see the, the hat man, but he was the shorter version. He was about four feet tall. And quite a few years ago, I had uh, a friend send me a link and said, you got to watch this YouTube video. And it's this man who um, used to see the short hat man as well. And he recreated what, what it looked like. And he just kind of put the lights out, but there was enough light that you could see the, the statue or whatever mannequin that he created. And I had instant fear. It was exactly what I saw as a child. So listening to this man recount his childhood memories is one thing, but then actually seeing the exact same thing, just, you know, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. So I can just imagine other people looking, like, say, black-eyed kids, if they've had the encounter. It's another thing to hear the encounter, but actually seeing an illustration um, make, makes it hit home even more. Yeah. Yeah, that's another character that, that I'm also intrigued by, the hat man. And these um, shadow people, so to speak. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't really call it a shadow. Well, I, I guess that's how I could best describe it as a shadow person. But when I first moved into my place, for the first six months, I experienced a presenteeism, where I would feel like out of the corner of my eye, I would see like what looked like the little girl walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I would just see it for just a flash second. And, and she had like her hair was long and it was like flowing through the air like snakes. And, it, you know, as if she was like underwater, but instead, you know, it, the, the hair was just flowing fluidly. And I would just see, you know, just for like a split second. You know, I don't know if, if and I just felt this presence, this odd presence. And I actually felt it leave. And that I was talking about it on Facebook. I was, I was you know, clicking that. Yeah, I, I had a ghost in, in my, in my, in my, uh, in my place. And and uh, one of the friend, one of my friends asked me about it. It's like, you wait, you what? And then when I went to click on it to re reply to him, I felt like, it felt like a weight off my shoulders. And then I was like, oh, I, I think I just felt the presence leave. And then I clicked on him. I said, you scared her away, you <laughs> idiot. Now she's gone. And in a way, I think that that sort of thing does happen where, you know, it could have been just, you know, uh, first time jitters or whatever of that nature. But at the time, you know, the, the, the space was empty and maybe something filled it in. And then when I came in, you know, it eventually, like, you know, decided to, to find, you know, more suitable dwellings for itself. And that's just how it represented itself. So, I, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a mystery out there, definitely. Maybe uh, the little girl um, was just going about her business in, in that particular apartment. Apartment or house, you said? Apartment. Apartment. Um, and once she realized that others knew about her, she maybe she's like, oh, crap, got scared and just went someplace else. I don't know. Yeah, either that or she got bored of watching me play XCOM. <laughs> That's all I do, just play XCOM. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What other experiences have you had? Sounds like you've had quite the variety. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff is ghost stuff which I find really disappointing because I'm an alien guy. 
you know, and, and it's, it, I mean, I live right down the street from a, a place called the Black Swan Inn, which is a prominent ghost hunting venue. They have events and stuff out there. It's like they really, you know, dug their heels and, and, and have embraced the paranormal stuff. It, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, the place, it's a little bit run down, you know, but hopefully they'll, they'll get things rolling where they can, you know, restore it. But as far as, um, I mean, as far as, you know, any other experiences, I really can't quite trying to think of stuff that, that I haven't, you know, talked about. I think it was um, one time I used to have this little black dog. And he used to sleep at the foot of my at the foot of my door, and I couldn't close the door because he would just sleep in the hall in the in the frame in the door frame. And you know, I, I had gotten accustomed to him snoring, because that's usually the way that the only way I could go to sleep is to hear him snore. And I remember one time, you know. He was in the doorway, you know, and then there was like this, this, this shuffling figure walking, stalking down the hallway. And then I, you know, I hear his, his head come up and then he lets out a low, guttural growl. And then I hear my mom's voice, don't growl at me, you stupid dog. <laughs> she was getting, <laughs> she was getting up in the morning to, you know, get her medications and stuff <laughs> of that nature. And, and, and she was like half awake and then the dog thought that she was a witch or something and growled at her <laughs> so so long as I had that dog I you know I wasn't afraid of, of aliens coming to get me or the ghosts or whatever to come to get me because I had this nighttime protector you know this this twilight sentinel that would you know watch my door and and you know and that I guess helped me feel safe when I was a, a, a teenager you know growing into a, a young adult and then, you know, that, and then eventually, of course, he had passed. And I would see him in my dreams, but I still feel like he's sort of still taking on his duty as the Twilight Sentinel in yeah. my life. And in one, there was a series of three dreams where I had experienced him. And in the first one, you know, he was very sickly and gangly. He was like, it's like he was struggling to manifest or something of that nature. And, and I just, you know, he was a very sickly and thin because that's how I remembered him at the end of his life because he had gotten, you know, old yet, you know, uh, succumbed to diabetes. Aww. And, you know, I remember, you know, when I was a young man going to college, I would have to get up in the morning before I would drive to class. I would have to give my mom her insulin shot and then I would have to give the dog his insulin shot. So I had to make sure to not mess up, not to mix up their insulin. But, you know, and he was, you know, sickly in the dreams. And, of course, I, you know, I, I, you know, get down on the ground and wrap my arms around him and just hold him and just be in that experience. And then as time went on, every few years I would see him again in the dream, except one time he came back and he was more robust. He was he was like a little bit healthier and not not as not as well, you know, not not one hundred percent, but he was you know better. And then of course I you know it would just pet him. I would just enjoy the moment of just being in his presence, just being with him in the dream. 
And then a third time came where, where the dream, and in this dream, it was a purely like sort of, it was, it was a dream you could, it was like a, a, the telltale, this is like an absolute dream type dream where me and him are running through a haunted house having an adventure. And he's strong and, and virile and, and, and powerful. And, and we we're just running together, you know, going through this house, you know, chasing ghosts or whatever. And I guess as far as what I could speculate, you know, it could have been my subconscious that he was, you know, uh, using as, as, a, as a foundation to manifest from. Because over the time, you know, I had a hard time, you know, the earlier part of in my life, I was, you know, I was unsure of myself and, and dealing and coping with stuff. And as I first grew into myself as a person, grew stronger as a person, you know, he would get stronger in, in the dreams as a manifestation. So the more stable my life was, the more, I guess, virile as a entity, he would be able to temporalize himself as. That could have been just, you know, my dream interpretation that was allowing him to manifest in that world, so to speak. But that's just what I wrote that up to, you know. And and now if I see him in the dream, he's the, you know, because I am a more adjusted, more sure individual, he is, of course, a stronger, more powerful presence. Hmm. And, and, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, for him to get better, I had to get better as a person. And we sort of see that, that you know, going as far as I can interpret best through my dreams. So, so you know, whenever I go to these places, you know, I sort of feel like he's there as a presence as well as my mother's presence. You know, I sort of like call upon them for protection if, if I ever do any type of grocery, which I don't. I, I but if I were, I would then, you know, that, that they would be, you know, the, the first two entities that I would pray to for a sort of, you know, um, representation of, of, of uh, guardianship. Probably because you had such a strong connection with them. Um, and that's just, you, you can envision them a lot clearer than anyone else. And then you can just have kind of manifest that protection. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and. My dog, when he was alive, he was so lazy. We would just sit under the under one of the, the benches and just sleep all day. What kind of dog was he? He was a he was a spaniel, okay. uh, like a little like a Springer spaniel. He had the long snout and the big floppy ears hmm. and the long coat and stuff like that. So yeah, it was a, he was a good dog. Yeah, we just uh, we we have um, a dog and two cats and. A couple of months ago, we had to put one of our cats down, so we did have three of them. But she was fifteen; she had a a, a good uh, a good good few years with us. And uh, but I do still dream of her too. I think maybe I don't know if it's because it's still fresh. It's only been a couple of months, but and and I still swear I see her in the house. Uh, I'll see the other two cats at one spot, like curled up together on the couch, and then I see something down the hall, and I'm thinking, oh, it's Daisy, and I'm getting ready to call her, and then it's like, oh crap, no, she's buried in the backyard <laughs> she shouldn't be in the house <laughs> yeah, when when i the first few days after my dog had passed we had took him took him in um i would see what looked like black swirling energy in his bed 
and I would just see it for just a split second before I realized, oh, he's not there. Sort of like my subconscious is trying to place him there mm. as a means of comforting me so that I don't feel that loss yep. or the loss doesn't hurt as much. And I would look into the corner of my door frame and I would see a swirl of black energy. And again, that's probably getting my subconscious just imprinting something there because I feel that missing type of thing. But, you know, nowadays, you know, it, it's like it's sort of a, it's, it's sort of a, a, you know, now it's a pleasant memory. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe um, uh, you're helping him to manifest because uh, he's still there and you wanted to know that he's still watching you. Probably. Probably. But anyways, he's still laying down, being lazy, doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I was to ever hear, hear him snoring, that would probably be the most comforting thing. But I'm pretty sure he is like the eternal realm or whatever. He's just snoring away, just snoozing. <laughs> Have you heard any of the snoring? No, not not really. But then again, you know, it's sort of like the, the, that sort of, you know, deafening, quiet type of thing. It's just, I don't worry about it all that much. I'm one of those sleepers where I sort of like I have to have a fan on because I can't take absolute quiet. Me too, yep. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it's sort of a thing where it's happened and I sort of, you know, moved on since then, but it is a, a pleasant thing to think about. It is a pleasant memory to reflect on that, that I do enjoy. Yeah. Just knowing that they're still with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, we are at the end. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Any Anything else you'd like to tell us? No, not too much. I, I think we, we covered it. Um, maybe... Sometime later, we could talk more about, uh, we could do a deeper dive into the alien abduction phenomenon. Yes. And I got like, quite a bunch of thoughts on that. Yeah. And if, if you ever have any upcoming roundtables that you're going to do, like any more holiday specials or anything that, okay. um, and you need someone to talk about aliens and stuff, I'd be happy to come on because there's so many people that we know that we're friends of friends with. Yes. Yeah. The Brian Boat and Tommy Colum and all these stuff. Yep. And, and so I'm, I'm quite familiar with all of them. So, uh, it, it, you know, if I can be of any assistance, reach out. I definitely will. Yes, I've been wanting to do a roundtable with Tommy and some other people. Uh, probably done in the new year now. But uh, yeah, definitely, um, you're invited to that. I will keep mm -hmm. you. I will keep you uh, posted when we actually ha get a chance to record it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that we'll probably talk again very soon when I can finally invite you over onto my show. And, I'd like that. Thank you. Yeah. And you can tell me all of your crazy adventures and, <laughs> and all the stuff that you've got, all the trouble that you've gotten into. <laughs> Not too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all say. We'll see. We'll see. So you, could you uh, tell the listeners where they can find you and your Absolutely. show? Absolutely. You can find me at either Twitter or Instagram, or X as they call it now. Yes. At Conspire Theory, all one word, Conspire A Theory. My podcast, you can find it primarily on Spotify, but it should be searchable on any uh, podcatcher at Conspire A Theory. If you find the little icon that looks like a little white fox curled up into a ball, Talking into a microphone, that's me. Okay. 
so you'll be able to identify it right away. It could easily, I understand like a lot of people, because I recently changed uh, RSS hosts. Okay. So if it doesn't show up in your podcast catcher, go into the import, go to either Spotify or something of that nature. You should be able to find it on another platform. Yeah, so just copy and paste. The, you should be able to easily find the RSS feed and then put it into the podcatcher of your choice and then subscribe to it from there. I have uh, like just under 100 episodes. I talk to like a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of interesting conversations in there. And, and you know, and be sure that, that you listen to the show, that you watch the show description to some, some of the stuff. And get like, you know, it, not every show is for every listener, so please yep. use some discretion. Sounds good. And I'll be adding links to the show notes too to make it easier. So thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate this. And definitely going to have you on again if you're willing. I look forward to that. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You take care. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to PurplePlanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants.